Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. The sheer nature in which these acts are reported, combined with the previous position of such high public trust that was held by the suspect, is disturbing. We worked together. I respected him. I looked up to him. I've racked my brain as to why. It's kind of creepy, and it's also just, just kind of just blows your mind. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Over a span of almost 10 years, a serial arsonist has been on the loose just outside of Washington, D.C. In this surveillance video, you can hear the gasoline being poured. Arson captured in progress. Looked outside, saw an orange glow, thought it was my neighbor's house on fire, came out, checked the driveway, the garage was on fire, the cars were on fire. The fact that the fire started on the outside of the home while the occupants were sleeping could have set the stage for a catastrophic outcome. I'm joined by reporter Tom Dempsey, who has covered this story for WUSA 9 in Washington. Tom, uh, this case involves a string of suspicious fires going back 10 years or so uh, in, in a number of counties just to the north of D.C., the D.C. suburbs, basically. Yeah, a lot of unexplained fires um, that some of the victims felt were arson even right after they happened. Uh, first one took place in 2011 all the way up to, uh, I believe it was November of 2020 was the most recent one. You know, as a reporter, I've been in this industry for, what, I think just over 10, maybe 11 years now at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I would never say just when you thought you've seen it all, because no journalist ever thinks that this case was just crazy to see some of the details behind it. And there are some similarities to these fires as well that would eventually help lead detectives to a suspect. But clearly, it was surveillance video as well that really helped in the investigation. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I mean, I believe it's, a you know, someone sees a guy in a hoodie. Uh, I believe it was a two-gallon jug of gasoline that was being used in, you know, multiple cases, a stick wrapped in cloth. Um, you know, oftentimes, uh, I believe, I believe all of them were at night. I don't have that information in front of me, but you have to imagine with it being arson and yeah, definitely some similarities. And that's kind of how all these jurisdictions were kind of able to kind of piece it together that what they were dealing with was a serial arsonist. Tom, you visited a home in Laurel, Maryland, where one of the fires was started, I believe in November of 2019. Tell us about what you learned from the homeowner, his name, Richard McLaughlin. This is one of the cases where there is surveillance video involved. You can actually hear it. That was what was kind of crazy about it. Some surveillance video is just silent. This one, you could actually hear the gasoline being poured. Um, And, you know, it was in the driveway. uh, And he put the gasoline right near these two cars that were in the driveway. You don't see him ignite the flames, but that's obviously what ended up happening. And as Richard McLaughlin was telling me, uh, the part of the house that you see happened to be the bedrooms. So, I mean, the bedrooms are right near this driveway when they were asleep. And in his own words, uh, the fire in 2019 in Laurel at his house could have easily been fatal if it wasn't for the dogs barking and if it wasn't for him walking out. I mean, he said originally said he thought it was at the neighbor's house and he walked out and just saw an orange glow and it was the cars on fire in his driveway. 
And he said just because of all the smoke, you know, they, they ran out as fast as they could, but he was, you know, just, it's uh, just scary sort of hearing some of the details. And in his own words, it could have been absolutely much worse, the fires. Uh, they lost both cars. I believe there was a lot of damage to their garage. They didn't actually have to replace it. And there was definitely damage to the siding of the house as well. But eventually detectives started to share information about the fires across county lines including video, and it was that video that eventually led them to make a shocking arrest. All right, breaking news. We are following out of Maryland. You're not going to believe this. The former chief of police for the city of Laurel is facing charges of arson and attempted murder. This is 69-year-old David Crawford of Ellicott City. Now, he resigned as chief back in 2010. Investigators say not long after that, Crawford began to set late-night fires at the homes of people with whom he had a grievance, including relatives, his former doctors, and former law officers. Other hit-list targets included former police colleagues, Crawford's own son-in-law, whose house was attacked three times, and rivals on Crawford's community association, according to court papers. And some of the investigative details are just fascinating, too. Uh, you know, I think they saw that Based on his sneakers, uh, they were able to zoom in on and, you know, uh, some of his digital history using the Apple Health app and looking and seeing that he was up and active at the times of the fire and looking at his web research and looking at, you know, he would Google, I believe, information on the damage that was done to the homes um, and just a lot of just connections to these fires that they were able to kind of somewhat trace back to him digitally. We served a search warrant at the suspect's home in early January. And during that uh, search, we seized a large number of electronic items. As most people know, everyone has a cell phone now, everyone has a computer. You know, uh, electronics cover a large um, amount of our lives in these days. So as an investigator going back and looking for information about a person's life and what they've been doing, um, that's one of the first things we want to look at uh, because we can go and retrieve some of those things. and. As you probably read in some of the court documents, we have found um, items in those electronics uh, that lead us to believe that uh, the suspect committed these crimes. All of the victims were known to the suspect. Nobody was a complete stranger that didn't know him. Uh, there are a lot of cases, so the motive in each one is probably a little bit different. And uh, some of that is still under investigation, so I can't really go into specifics for each the motive in each case. So through the digital evidence, it took us down a lot of paths um, to identify that there was definitely research done at some point on each of the victims by him. But in terms of his role as a uh, former police chief, former member of law enforcement, um, he did not utilize that position. I want to make sure that we're clear. None of his victims were civilians with whom he had contact in a role as a member of law enforcement. Okay, so you have a retired police chief who is now behind bars for a string of arson cases across a number of different counties. And you mentioned the home of Richard McLaughlin, where a fire was set in 2019, one of the 12 cases involved here. As it turns out, Richard McLaughlin actually became police chief in 2011, or right after Crawford left his job, right? McLaughlin is retired now, but he certainly tried to figure out why he might have been a target. He looked up to Crawford, you know, a good leader, uh, from what I heard, and um, you know, kind of a good role model for some of these post officers, so or what they thought at the time, and um, you know, someone McLaughlin looked up to. So, you know, a career uh, police officer, very well experienced police officer, who resigned, um, who was asked to resign from uh, the Laurel Police Chief uh, uh, position in 2010. 
So he replaced Crawford in 2010. Okay. Fast forward nine years. And he claims he never spoke to Crawford in that nine years. Didn't see him. If he did see him, he rarely saw Crawford. Nine years, had a positive opinion about Crawford. And that's when the fire occurred, was nine years after it. It wasn't like, you know, Crawford leaves and he's mad or something about his case and then, you know, gets the address of McLaughlin and decides to set these very scary fires. I mean, nine years passed. So you have to think he's holding on to these grudges. Um, and, you know, McLaughlin was shocked when he found out it was uh, Crawford. I mean, he said, you know, grudge against me? No, I would have never guessed that there was a grudge between the two of us because he looked up to my, to Crawford. And, I mean, that's going into sort of the psychology of all of this, you know, with the fires believed to be connected to Crawford. It's just, I think that's a telling sign, at least in the case that I saw, or just an interesting tidbit. It's just the amount of time that passed between the last, uh, believed to be the last, you know, conversation between the two to when the fires were set was nine years. And the kind of the overlying theme to these cases is that he, you know, he had a bone to pick or nursing grudges, if you will. Um, and this was sort of his way of getting back, uh, at the, uh, at, at these, at these fire victims. And Crawford is now facing some pretty serious charges, right? Yeah. No, he's, uh, facing attempted murder charges and arson charges. Uh, in jail now, and it sounds like they have a lot of information and you know this inform- investigation you can imagine involving so many different areas. Uh, the investigation is pretty deep. Today, the judge here who decided Crawford should stay in jail said letting him out would further terrorize victims who would be afraid that Crawford would come back and try it again. And one thing I think to think about here after so much time has passed, years after some of the fires were, were first set, these people must have had such a weight lifted to know that a suspect is now behind bars. And I think you heard that from Richard McLaughlin, right? He just said that, you know, my wife and my children have been, um, you know, just just living sort of just uneasily since the, the arson occurred. And that was two years, so a year and a half after the arsons occurred, and he just finally felt so relieved following the announcement of the arrest. And you've got all these other cases where fires were set and people have been left to wonder who the heck did this, and then they've been living with the fear that it could happen again. I mean, you can only imagine, you know, you wake up, you know, just like any other night, and you wake up and you walk out and you see your cars on fire, your garage, uh, you know, on fire, and it's spreading to your house, let, let alone it's the rooms your children are sleeping and the room where your wife is sleeping and you're just in three thirty, so you're probably still in the days and your dog is barking and you begin to imagine sort of just what this horrific experience was for this family. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for asking. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here every weekday, Monday through Friday with new episodes. Be sure to let your friends and family know about The Daily Crime. We'll see you next time. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.